everyone, and welcome back to CouncilCast, the official podcast of the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. I'm Katie Oberkirker, Content Specialist on the Market Intelligence and Insights team here at the Council. Today, I'm joined by Keith Vanderzanden. He's the Executive Vice President at Advanced Professionals Insurance and Benefit Solutions. Keith and I are going to talk association health plans. This is the second podcast in a series focusing on these plans since the Trump administration expanded access to them in June of 2018. Keith, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here. So Keith, AHPs have recently received a lot of renewed attention, but they're not necessarily a new concept. And as far back as the 1970s, these plans promised a lot more purchasing power and less expensive premiums, and that was all made possible by a large pool of group members. Now, you've been successfully standing up these plans for about two decades. With healthcare costs increasing and the pressure to provide personalized and really cost-effective benefits to employees greater than ever, what do you think is the role of the Association Health Plan in the commercial insurance market today? Sure. Well, here's a couple of thoughts. Um, you know, the role for the AHP is to open up for AHPs is to open up insurance, um, health insurance coverage for millions of Americans and their families by making it affordable for thousands of small employ, uh, employers and businesses. Basically, giving small employers choice, access, and affordability to health care. Uh, one way to look at it is that. Association health plans, rather than insurance companies, select the products and services that are best for their members. HPs are able to customize plan designs, um, and an example of that is you take an AHP that is focused on construction companies. They may have a different technology, a different healthcare need for its employees than and their families than a technology cam- company would. Um, in this case, you can see how association health plans are uniquely positioned to address these uh, unique individual needs for these type of companies. Great. So, so given the administration's role to expand access to these types of plans, Avalier Health predicts that as many as 4.3 million people could leave the individual and small group insurance markets to enroll in these types of plans over the next five years or so. What's your response to those who think that AHPs will destabilize the individual marketplace or undermine the tenets of the ACA? Well, individuals and small employers should be allowed to select healthcare products and services that are best for their employees and their families. And that's probably the best way that I could put it. the plans that we offer um, for AHPs with our clients um, are all in compliance with um, ACA. AHPs have been linked to a lot of controversy in the past, despite the fact that they do offer more purchasing power um, and they, they do offer a different level of customization. So as a result of that, Congress has given states more authority to regulate these types of plans. And you're based in Washington state, and that regulatory environment is one of the most conducive to AHP implementation. How do you think that's helped the state forge ahead in the AHP market? Well, it's been 24 years of lessons learned in Washington state. 
you know, over those course, over those 24 years, there's been probably three significant regulatory milestones that we've had to work through. Um, it goes back to 1995 when our state passed legislation that enabled small employers to come together to collectively purchase health care as a large group. We saw over the next 15 years um, pretty good success in association health plans. Our market seemed to blossom with those up until the passage of ACA. So you had your second milestone on the regulatory side in 2010. Um, this had an impact uh, on ACA, had an impact on how AHPs uh, could operate in our state. And then again, um, eight years later, last year, 2018, with the new DOL rule, it reshaped um, the offering of association health plans again. And so by no means has it been a level, um, you know, very even keel in terms of how things have run for us, it's been, again, through a series of lessons learned in terms of how to get it right, both in terms of at the business level as well as at the regulatory level. Right. So there have definitely been some some obstacles to overcome in, in the past 20 or so years. Are there any other states in a similar regulatory environment? That's a moving target. Um, it's very fluid right now because each state is evaluating their own uh, unique situation. Uh, no question, states have been actively addressing this very issue. And so to pinpoint exactly what states are very uh, conducive to offering um, AHPs, I think that uh, you know, we're going to have a clearer picture in the months ahead. But right now, like I said, it's just incredibly active on a regulatory um, level with um, states trying to decide how they want to position themselves based upon this um, DOL rule. So with all of that said, what do you think are some of the keys to success in standing up one of these plans? Sure. Um, there's probably four areas that we look to and I'd recommend looking to. One is pretty clearly the regulatory governance and structure of the AHPs, making sure they meet all the federal and state compliance requirements. Number two is identifying the right insurance carrier partners. Um, that plays a huge role in uh, determining which carriers in the particular marketplace or state have the appetite to partner with the AHP to stand up um, a program. Number three is the technology platform. Uh, you've got to have the ability to move data and dollars uh, between the carrier partners and the, uh, the small employers. Um, so it's kind of a, it's a, it's a three-legged stool that all has to be working together. And then thirdly is there has to be market availability. Um, you, gotta be, you have to be able to identify those associations slash AHP that have uh, critical mass in terms of their members that can um, successfully stand up an AHP. With those four ideas in mind, do you see any other opportunities for growth thanks to the DOL rule? Yeah, I think the opportunity is significant without, doubt, without a doubt. However, um, what federal rule did or the um, Department of Labor did in clarifying or redefining 
um, you know, AHPs is they put out um, their guidance, but then they left it up to the states to define their regulatory requirements. And as a result of this, although it has created a pathway, um, it is up to each state to determine what the um, what the opportunity is for growth. And so, every one of these states. So if you're if you're operating an AHP, no matter what state you're in, you have to look closely at the state guidelines and what they've defined in terms of how they can work um, with in um, the federal guidelines. All right, so besides being sensitive to particular state guidelines, do you have any other advice for brokers who are looking to learn more about the association health plan space? Sure, I think there's um, some key elements that we have found. One goes back to what we spoke about earlier, and that is understanding the regulatory environment in your state or in the states that you wish to do business. Number two is to understand the carrier appetite in your marketplace or the markets that you're wishing to do business in. Uh, Some carriers you're going to find simply have no interest in standing up and working with you on an association health plan, while others see this as a great opportunity in order to go about um, gaining enrollment and membership. Number three, and lastly, is to educate your client slash association on the cost. These things are expensive to stand up. You have legal costs in order to meet and understand uh, the regulatory environment and any adjustments you need to make to your bylaws if necessary. Secondly, is in the contracts that need to be in place uh, in order to put this uh, into operation. Secondly, is you have technology costs and operational costs. Uh, I spoke about that earlier um, in terms of being able to move the data and what I call the data in dollars between the member company that is purchasing the health care and the insurance companies um, that are providing the coverage. Um, and then lastly, uh, of course, there are marketing costs um, that both are um, driven by the purchaser or the member company um, that you'd like to purchase, that you'd like to um, to reach out to about the AHP, and then secondly, you've got um, product distribution costs, which is the um, the producer that you may want to work with, or producers, your product distribution channel, in terms of helping them to understand the value proposition of um, the AHP that you're making available in that marketplace. Well, that's great, Keith. Thanks so much for your insight. As you said, I think there will be a lot more to come on these types of plans. Um, but thank you again, and thank you all for listening to CouncilCast. You can listen to more on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud. Please subscribe and leave us a review or rating to tell us how we're doing. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can find us at ciab.com at the CIAB on Twitter, or you can email in at councilcast at CIAB.com. See you next time.